0: First, there is denial, then anger. Next comes the bargaining, then the depression. And finally, the acceptance. These are the stages of grief and loss. No, they may lack sharp edges and at times overlap and bend together like a mocha latte, but they can't be skipped. You have to drink it in or else it will consume you. Today we talk to first-time filmmaker Kevin Urquhart and the cast and crew of the debut film, Grief. The film stars newcomer Douglas Fairnaught as Alex Camden, a young man who finds himself hospitalized with serious injuries, being visited by family and loved ones. As a short film, Grief moves in rapid stages visually due to the director of photography, Smith and Lee, and emotionally to an inevitable conclusion. Shot in early 2020, the film wrapped just as the COVID-19 pandemic was just getting started, though some leaders in Washington, D.C. were still in denial. As you might know, since the start of Interludes, I've been going through five stages of grief with the support of my extended family, friends, and my church, and you, with your support of this podcast. It hasn't always been easy. But like you, I have discovered that I am not alone in my feelings, in my hopes and dreams. This is why, during a time when we are again inundated with TV award shows, Zooming and Skyping coast-to-coast, honoring last year's best. I want you to get a glimpse of the future with young, talented artists in a short, independent film. On today's show, we talk with the cast and crew of Kevin Eckhart's film, Grief. We hear a sound bite from Michael Womble on collective grief, and I'll share something with you that very few people know. Today, we grow together by respecting our grief. I'm Valerie Johnson, and this is Interludes. Interludes, a pure lighthouse production. Brought to you by A1 Pestmasters. For all your exterminating and pest control needs, call A1 Pestmasters. And now, all the way live from the south side of Chicago... Give it up for your host, Valerie Johnson. Johnson hated her middle name Lee. Many Southerners named their children with a middle name similar to Lee or Ann or May. I felt the Arkansas roots that seemed to come with that name. Lee fit family gatherings and tasted like down-home cooking and strong love. No matter where I was I felt it every day in my busy world. Her loving voice carried me through the miles, through the rough times. Rosie Lee helped me navigate through grad school, career changes, and this very difficult world. During the six months after Rosie Lee passed, I knew I needed help. I started attending a grief recovery group. In the group, we read a book called The Grief Recovery Handbook, by John W. James and Russell Friedman. The lessons taught from the book helped our group deal openly with our grief. We were meeting in person every week, reading through chapters, doing focus homework exercises and getting in touch with our pain. In the book, there were some things I learned about dealing with loss that was incorrect. When I suffered through a loss like a friendship or a job, and also a loss of a loved one, I was taught to deal with my loss by either my close friends or family to, number one, not feel bad. Number two, do something to replace the loss. Another myth. I didn't wanna bother or be a bother to anyone, so I would, number three, grieve alone. Number four, give it time. And also, Number five, be strong for others. In other words, not showing emotions. And the dreaded action, number six, keep busy. In my grief recovery support group, I also discovered not only did I grieve the loss of my mother, but making the decision to come home, I also grieved the loss of my neighborhood, my home for 18 years, Brooklyn. I grieved the loss of my good-paying nine-to-five job and the loss of meeting friends in person, friends who had become like extended family. And you know who you are. What some people might not know is that earlier in 2019, I was planning on returning to Chicago to be with my mom. What many people didn't know is that I spoke with her just a few months before she fell ill my mom talked me out of coming back home. She said, I feel you're safer in your Brooklyn neighborhood than coming back here to the south side of Chicago. At that moment, I became sad. What made me feel sad was the fact that I didn't feel welcomed home. I didn't know she might have been trying to spare me the pain of seeing her pass away. A side note. I recently looked through some of my mom's things, and I found a note dated in July 2019. She wrote it on the day just before I left to fly back to New York. She said, my daughter is here from Brooklyn, New York, and will be leaving tomorrow morning. She's been with me for the last five days, July 4th to July 8th. I thank God every day that I'm still here to enjoy what the good Lord has prepared for all of us to enjoy in our lives on this earth. I thank God for my lovely daughter, Valerie, who is always looking out for me. Can you imagine finding a written note like this from your deceased mother? After a few meetings with the grief recovery group, COVID hit and canceled future in-person meetings. And then I was hit with the collective grief many Americans and the world started to feel. Freedom to travel. I quarantined in my home feeling slightly more depressed and feeling cut off from the world. I had to fight for my happiness and grief recovery. In order to finish the work started with the grief recovery group, I met with one of my friends over Zoom and we continued the grief recovery book until the end and kept in touch, doing check-ins to make sure we're not slipping into depressive states of hopelessness and despair. It is important to be in touch with your grief, no matter how devastating the loss. When I heard about a new filmmaker, Kevin Urquhart, had a new short film called Grief. I wanted to talk to him about his process and how he came up with the idea. Along with our executive producer, Michael Womble, here's my talk with Kevin Urquhart and the cast and crew of his film, Grief. I am excited to introduce to you a new filmmaker, person who came out with a film called Grief, and it's a very a close topic to my heart and I wanted to talk to him and find out what he was thinking about when he made this and then also the people that you see as everyone that was involved in making the project because as when you do a film it's not just you it's everyone else that in that gives to the project. Ladies and gentlemen I want to introduce you to Kevin hey,
1: everyone. <laughs>
0: How are you today, Kevin?
1: I'm good. My name is Kevin Urquhart. I am a new filmmaker. Uh, I go off of Urquhart Kevin or Urquhart Quivin, which is French. I decided to go the French way. I have some French citizenship and, you know, heritage a little
0: bit, so figure entertainment. Kevin, do me a favor and introduce who we are looking at right now.
1: Yeah.
0: Yes, so here,
1: uh i don't know if they see him the same way i do but we have brian oneill duxon and jizzy wallace here who played the dad and the mom eric camden and beatrice camden we have douglas Fairnot, who played alex camden uh, uh we have smith who who is my dp uh simone what, what when? ooh about to push it up <laughs> for some reason simone wen <laughs> who played Kim. uh adrian who did our music score and Liz Erenick, who played our nurse Mandy?
0: Wow! And, and I wrote, directed, wonderful. and produced. Right, exactly. So, filmmakers—it's—it's it's always fun. It's a—it's an arduous project uh, process to come up with an idea, to come up with a script. To you know, you can imagine it in your mind, but for it to actually go and be on screen is totally different. Tell me your inspiration for doing this short film, Grief.
1: Okay, so a while back, um, and some people on, uh, on the, uh, who was a part of the film may know about this. Some didn't weren't aware. But a while back, I had a liver transplant back in 2015. And so I remember having a conversation with a friend of mine's aunt. Uh, her son was going through some liver issues at the time. And so we were talking, I was trying to pick the brain of the idea of the concept from a mother's perspective on what she was going through while her son was going through some health issues because my mom wasn't too open with me about how she was feeling at the time and as i was um encouraged to write a script uh and enter it into uh, one of the competitions in virginia um it, the script kind of more idea from the child's perspective so i related a lot to it by being in the hospital myself and so that turned into the grief film that ended up becoming out and that we were able to shoot.
0: I remember you told me that when it was, when you started shooting this, literally the week later, COVID happened. How did, how did that happen?
1: Yeah, um, so I remembered uh, it was, I wanna say me and Lee met up uh, a week or two afterwards. And I remember the last day Lee and I met up in person, Um, you know, I got home and that's when the NBA got canceled. And that's when I was like, Oh, COVID must be super serious. That's a really big deal. Um, but you know, when we were shooting it, I know the the virus was starting to be heard about in Asia and rumors of it coming here. But at the time I personally, at least wasn't really concerned about not being able to shoot it because of the virus or anything. So that was, that was totally just, (laughs) You know, we, we lucked out. It was definitely God and all that process um, for us to be able to shoot it and not have to worry about that. And, uh, you know, so when when Lee and I met up for post-production stuff and we were just talking, I think that's the same day I spoke to Adrian and we were talking about score ideas. Um, NBA canceled the same day.
0: And let me um, now direct it to our DP. I know he's traveling right now, Smitha Lee. How did you meet Kevin and why did you want to help him with this project? Yeah, so we
2: just met, um, I think one of my friends had um, told him about me and we just honestly connected through there. Um, And he told me about the idea and I was like, yo, let's let's do it. Uh, We was looking for um, locations and everything. And there's a spot in um, Atlanta that I shoot at a lot um, called Studio Space that literally, has around like eight different sets within it. Um, they it actually built a couple more sets down there. Um, so we ended up shooting everything in that one location, which it, 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 it kind of makes it look as if it was a different one. But everything's shot in one location, literally like a a room that's like cut and card out. It's a soundstage. Um, what I love about that, literally, we, we can control the lighting as well as you know sound and all that stuff, and really kind uh, of. Through um, everything because you can kind of control everything, so um, it was just a blessing to work with them and you know work with this idea, it's, especially with the amazing cast that I, I work with a lot that all are amazing people as well.
0: Yeah, and I'm, I'm gonna get to the cast in a moment. Uh, Kevin, how did you um find out about Adrian who scored the, the film for you?
1: Oh, that was Ali. Uh, I remember. I was talking to Lee. We were, we were talking and, and when we were talking about the score and the music and all that, oh, perfect guy. And, you know, I uh, he called Adrian and I ended up talking to him on the phone and we chatted. And I mean, I'll let Adrian speak his piece, but I know for myself, I just, all I asked him was think of these emotions. If that particular music fits with that emotion to you, let me hear it out and, you know, let that be the. And
2: I'll tell you how small the uh, film world is. So I met Ado from another friend, um, Jason Runkle, and literally like fell in love with, first of all, Ado's personality. Cause film is all about like, I I don't care how talented you are. I I really don't care nothing about that. I I really care about your heart and who you are because talent approach, we always can work on that. We always can build together. But so far as like having charisma, being on time, being honest, different things like that, you don't find too often in this industry. And Ado had all of those things. And he's hes wonderful. And, and he's just—he's extremely talented. So, like, like I was like, yo, whatever I'm attached to, if I can throw your name in it, I'm throwing it. And literally, I'll call Ado. Ado I'm just like, hey, I don't even know if they're going to do it, but, hey, I just wanted to you to pitch, see if you can go a part of it and everything.
0: And, um, Ado, what, um... What emotions did you tap into to bring the soundtrack to light? And I'm assuming you kind of went through a couple of things. Kevin said he communicated it. You know, if you feel this, I want, I want this feeling. What, what, what was your process?
3: Yeah. Um, well, yeah. First of all, thank you, Kevin and Smithily for for the kind words. I appreciate that a lot. And it's definitely fun working with you guys. Um, I would say. Um, I guess like especially when it came to the different stages of grief, I was trying to do some research on like what each of the stages were and trying to channel what some of those emotions were um, while at the same time watching the film itself too. Um, i would had a little bit of experience from that, like with working with Smith Lee on some of his projects and like some stuff with Jason as well. Um, and so I like to kind of, create around seeing a visual a lot Hmm. of people are visual learners that's one thing that's huge for me and so when I was seeing like the part about denial it's like you know I would think oh it needs like this certain vibe or it's like anger something a little bit more like serious or you can kind of feel the the hurt in the anger in a sense so just I guess going through those stages helped a lot
0: right and before I move on to the actors Michael did you have any questions for Kevin Ado or Smitha?
4: I think, I think the most logical question uh, to ask is the filmmaker, um, Kevin, is that uh, we hear it from the, in the soundtrack and the way the soundtrack was structured. Is that the way it was written? Did you go through, did you use those five stages as a way to give the story a spine, a structure to it? Uh, and if so, um, how was that helpful? And if not, uh, how did you kind of put that story together?
1: So, uh, thank you for the question. With each scene, uh, I think I was trying to think about with my own personal life and even experiences I've heard from other people, because a lot of, when it comes to writing you, you go off of either what you know or what you hear. Okay, what people say when they're in denial or what does it look like when someone's in denial? And then thinking about as well, you know, what am I feeling when I'm in denial about a situation or when I'm upset and angry or when I'm bargaining about a scenario, or in a depressive state, or when I get to that final conclusion of acceptance, and people can bounce around um, from those type of different griefs uh, stages, and so when it came to the music, I'll admit I'm not as knowledgeable with music, so I definitely like put. A lot more trust with Adrian on that. I felt, you know, he this is what he does. Is, um, you know, I got to hear a couple sample pieces before I even spoke to him. And so I, I really liked the vibe he got. And so when we spoke, you know, I could tell, you know, similar to Lee, like you want to like the person you're working with. And from the jump, I was like, he seems very easygoing. I think he'll comprehend it. And as I was explaining it to Lee, he was like, this, this guy would work well. So I really want to just, you know, I thank him. I thank Lee about helping me. Um, you know, add that into the film because uh, that that is not my specialty. So I don't always think of music whenever I'm writing a, a scene. Or... Right, right.
0: Uh, now let me. Oh, go
4: ahead, Michael. It's just one other uh, question, kind of connected to that, and I want to throw it to to Mr. Lee. There, um, one of the things I like to do, if I can, and because of the the uh, length of this uh, short short film is that uh, I was able to watch it once with sound and then watch it without sound because it's a film. And films have that unique quality to them where you should be able to understand everything without having to hear the words. It's not a play. It's not on the stage, it's on it's a film. And uh, Mr. Lee, you were able to do that. Can you tell us a little bit about that? I can see those changes. I can see those changes visually from, from that denial and boy, uh, I got to give a shout out to uh, Mr. Fairnot. That that denial was very strong at the very end. At the very start of it, man. But you could see the process change through visually. How did you How did you yeah. go about doing
2: that? So that was that was one of Kevin's main things. Like, dude, he's like, I, like one of the things that I, I really really want is to make sure that throughout the entire film, that that the the mood of the lighting goes with it.
1: Yes, so, and it does.
2: Um, like, and, and I'm glad you, I'm glad you called it because i had I had some of my, some of my artistic friends called me like, dude like, why well, was the lighting like this? Then it ended up like this. I'm like, okay, now explain it to me. Like, crap, why didn't I see that? I was like, yeah, you too. You paid too much attention to the technical stuff, and it, sometimes it's aggravated with some of my friend, my film friends so that just think too technical but it's in the I lose the artistic side of it so I'm glad I'm, I'm so glad that you, that you saw that portion because really like you, it starts in a moody aspect and as it grows mm-hmm. it gets area and area and area to the standpoint where he's about to go to heaven and it's really really bright so like um I mean it was Kevin's idea and I literally just took what he was thinking and you know made it happen yeah. It worked. It worked. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I re- I really do appreciate that so much. I was aggravated with some people about
0: that. <laughs> some people, some people don't get it. That when you have made decisions about what people see visually, you are telling a story. You are you are setting a mood. And your actors can do a lot. But then you take it over the finish line. So yes, Smitha, that was that was excellent. I'm glad Michael asked that question about that. Thank I want to talk. I want to talk now with the actors because uh, Kevin, just very quickly, did you have a table read or how did how did it work with the script and talking with the actors and finding you know and, and finding out where people were, you know people were with everything.
1: Yeah, we, we did have a table read, and um, it was really cool. It was the first time we were all together. Uh, now, funny thing is I was the outsider of this, this group, um, myself and Liz specifically, because they've all worked together, had all met each other before on different other projects. So it was, I was like, well, great, the chemistry will be great. I'm, that's, you know, that can be a struggle by itself. So the fact that, you know, I, I learned this very quickly, because I didn't know that when I started talking with them. Uh, you know, individually, but once they came over, we were all in the same spot. I was like, oh, you, you guys all know each other. <laughs> so, but the table read went well. And uh, funny enough, um, cause I know at the end, me and Lee met up later about working at the studio, but we had actually originally were gonna shoot at uh, one of my friend's house. And so we had did the table read and we were at that house and we showed like where the scenes and we did the whole, like where physically people would be. So when we ended up changing the whole thing, I think it worked for the better, of course. Um, but it was it was still really cool to see it all come together, and I mean, it meant a lot just to see it something in your mind start to become a reality. You
0: know exactly. So and uh, when when Kevin told you, Douglas, that you're going to be the person sick and in bed pretty much the entire film, uh, where did you where did in for this script? Where did you reach? From to kind of act out the the main character for you know going through this this process. So you there were some discovery things that were happening. You were le- learning about your dad. Like your act, your acting was very. Um, everything had to be on your face because you weren't doing anything else with your hands. So tell me about your process, Douglas.
2: Uh, I guess my process it dug deep. Um, my seeing my great grandmother. I guess, in a way, basically before she was on her deathbed, she, you know, she was crippled, she could barely move and things of that nature, but she could talk, she could see. So I guess it, that inspiration honestly dug deep from that.
0: Okay. And for the parents, um, Brian O'Neill Duxon and your wife, um, I'm not going to mispronounce it, Jizzy. <laughs> is, that, is that correct? You guys yes. did a you guys did a great job. Um, tell me, how was it portraying the, the the parents and those were? I saw real emotions. I saw real tears. So I'm just like, okay, she's pulling from a place. So what place did you, both of you pull from to serve as the parent on this film? Um,
5: well, I pulled from personal experiences. I have a son. Mm-hmm. And so well we have a son.
0: <laughs> That's good. I'm glad y'all remembered that. <laughs> <laughs> That's important.
5: <laughs> but um, but we ha- uh, we have a son and just pulling from that and just imagining just that being him doing something stupid.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and, and Brian, I've heard that you've worked on some other projects. How was it working with Kevin?
6: And awesome. Uh, honestly, uh, the, the the directors, uh, writers that I've worked with before,
0: he's,
6: he ranks, even though this is like his first project, he ranks up there as just being a good guy. I don't know if anybody else said that, but he's a great guy. And he uh, allows you to uh, go through the journey. Um, of course, this is his first project, but man, it's it's great to work with people like him. I will work with him a thousand times. Him Lee, uh, those guys, man, I will work with these guys. They call me, I'm coming. So yeah. it, it was it was great, and 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 to get there, man, working with my wife and um, yes. <laughs> yeah, under, cool. understanding how talented she is, she makes it easy for me. Um, working with Dougie, Dougie's like a little brother, hell, son.
2: Yeah, nephew to us. <laughs> so <laughs> I even spent a couple of days with them, like going after work, just spending time with them, talking to them, like as if they were my mom and dad, and even going over lines. Like that was a huge help for me to actually bring out who Alex Camden was on the screen.
0: Excellent, Michael. Did you? I look like you had a burning question. Yeah,
2: had you? I mean, uh, uh,
4: just to to Brian, had had you worked with your wife before?
0: Oh yeah,
6: yeah. Uh, Y'all have worked
4: together before, all right?
6: Yeah, because okay. she's been uh, she's been my wife. She's been my daughter. Um,
1: <laughs> <laughs> we've brother.
6: Yeah, she's been my sister. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. We, been, yeah okay. We've, been, we've been some some other stuff. Yeah. So, okay. All yeah. right.
4: So Jesse this wasn't your first. This wasn't your first movie, or no. was
6: it? It well, was
4: okay. All right. OK, because, I mean, you you set it up. I mean, when, when people see, they'll understand. But, you know, the father comes in a little bit later. He has a kind of a grand entrance, but you're there from the very beginning. So so you create the reality that your son has gone through something and see and we have to see it through your eyes and your face and you you do it so effectively that um, there's never any doubt. I mean, it's it's uh, we start to wonder like what are the circumstances of it because we know something happened to that boy because we see it all over you and your face and how, and how you react to that. So, the, I mean, that, that was excellent. I, I, I'm I was wondering it because I was like she had to have been in some things before because that was just that was spot on. That was spot on. That was just awesome job, definitely. Thank
0: you. I'm gonna swing Thank it over you. to Liz. Liz, to be the nurse, you were, looked like you were given some very uh, poignant um, lines. I, I noticed, Kevin, how, what lines you gave her. Um, did you do any research for the nurse and, and what did you pull from to portray someone that's giving grim news to our family members as well as the person? You, you, had, a, you had a nice dialogue with the main character too.
7: Um, yeah, thank you. I am um, a sign language interpreter. And so I work in the hospitals a lot. Um, So I see the interactions, I mean, almost on a daily basis of how nurses interact with patients. And um, that's something that I pulled from pretty regularly. Um, Even how the nurse mannerisms were uh, checking pulses or writing
0: things down. And and there's no way you could have known, Liz, that, Nurses would become essential workers, uh, literally weeks later, and what would happen with COVID. So, I'm. Are you still working actively in the hospitals, or what? What are you? Is that? I'm just curious because there's no way we could have known when you all were filming this, there was no way we could have, none of you could have known what was to come and what was to be impacted via the coronavirus. So Liz, I'm just asking you, just Yeah,
7: no, great, great question. Um, So I am currently, by choice, not working in the hospitals right now. Um, We do have a lot of essential workers who are um, as sign language interpreters in the hospitals. um, And I mean, all power to them. But uh, for me personally, it's, it's just not the right moment uh, and luckily i have other options too um but i definitely like really appreciate all of the essential workers and uh, the people on the front line and what they do every single day
0: and simone portrays the girlfriend a lot, lot of <laughs> i wanted to know more <laughs> about what happened in that relationship. <laughs>
5: Oh, Alex, man, what did <laughs> yeah, you do? Uh, yeah, Alex, Alex was doing what males do. He was, you know, <clears throat> we were supposed to be dating and then I ended up getting pregnant and he, I found out he was cheating. So, you know, that that burned me, you know, to to, I hadn't even told him yet. So it was, you know, I was already nervous about telling him about the pregnancy. And then for my next time to speak to him, or see him and to find out that he did, you know, X, Y, and Z. Yeah, the the part of my grief was straight to anger. And, you know, as you saw, <laughs> I didn't even want him to exist anymore, so, <laughs> yeah.
4: Now the, the nurse performs a life-saving duty in this uh, film. Yes, definitely.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Kevin initially told me about this film and I saw like the, the screen, like a screenshot of, of someone being in the hospital bed. Um, it took me a minute to watch it because unfortunately my mother passed away about a less than about a year, year and a oh. half ago uh, from liver failure. And kind of that grief that you go through is something that I, I feel so close to. Uh, it was important for you to release this film on i believe it was the anniversary of your father's and his birthday explain the time that you released this this was to honor your father
1: yeah so i uh getting into film kind of later in my life you know being in my early 30s now it uh, my dad was big on recording everything so Mm -hmm. is like you know thinking if i grew up with him he died when i was 11 um you know maybe i would have stuck with Well, I was an actor back then, but stuck with the film and all that. But when uh, releasing the trailer, when Lee had it all finished up, uh, I remember thinking to myself, you know, maybe I should make it a monumental release date. So I released it on the anniversary of his death and then releasing the film, uh, wanting to hold it to his birthday. So uh, releasing on his birthday was, you know, my way of kind of paying homage to him in that sense. And since it was a subject matter, it was the first time I really uh, could comprehend the grieving process and all that and realizing I didn't handle grief necessarily the best way. Um, he wasn't the first person I necessarily lost in my life, but he was definitely the closest person I'd lost at that time. So being an 11 year old boy, um, losing his dad, it's like it reshapes you and reshapes who you end up becoming. So, you know.
0: Yeah, I think your dad would be very proud of this project and, um, you know, three cheers to you. I've been to-
4: Grief. It's unavoidable. And why should it be avoided? Grief is everywhere these days, from the tears in our eyes to the very air that we breathe. Seriously, it's in the air. That's why, as our president said, please. Wear a mask. Since 2019, over half a million Americans have died due to COVID 19. A half million people is roughly the size of Atlanta. Can you imagine the world without Atlanta? There would be no candy, no Kenya, no Nene. That would be ludicrous. No, no. Ludicrous would be gone too. After spending a year in denial as a country, we needed time to collectively grieve. President Biden gave us that opportunity within the first hundred days of his presidency. Former president Trump only gave us denial. Of course, that is just the first stage of grief and it's what you would expect from someone divorced from reality. Thankfully, our history has shown that tragedies like the Oklahoma City bombing, 9-11, the Challenger explosion, and the Charleston church shooting. Throughout, our national leaders spoke to us prayed with us and sang with us in a bipartisan manner. Grief is not bound by a political party. It is an equal opportunity to kill joy. Shakespeare once wrote that all the world's a stage. Yet, when it comes to grief, there are five stages. Denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. Grief is the very theme of this podcast and of two very popular pieces of art streaming on Hulu and Disney Plus. The film *Nomadland*, starring actress Frances McDormand, may appear to be about a subculture of life at the edge of a status quo. It may appear to be about wanderlust, but at heart, at its heart. It is a movie about grief. All five stages. In director Chloe Zhao's Nomadland, which recently won the Golden Globe's Best Picture Award, actress Frances McDormand plays the fictional Fern, a woman dealing with the death of her husband and the death of the town she called home. Bob Wells plays himself. Wells... Is a well-known and vocal advocate of living in vans off the grid he's also a man who has been shaped by grief. he tells the fictional fern his factual story about the loss of his only son in a recent interview wells said of bearing his truth quote i have not handled the death of my son at all well it's been a very private thing And actually, I think the movie was very, very healing for me. Actually saying it, telling the world. It was a gift to my son's life and of my life to the movie. To me, Wells describes the movie better than I ever could. It is a movie about grief, Wells says. And so it's dark and moving but it's very, very true to nomadic living. I think that's why a lot of us are out here. We're recovering through a life of grief and loss. Now for sci-fi and comic book, black nerds, or blurs as we're known, it turns out that grief has been the literal and musical motif mixed into our Friday fix of WandaVision. WandaVision is an extension of the Marvel Cinematic Universe MCU that embraces the fact that it's not a gazillion dollar blockbuster. The series takes its framework from conventional TV sitcoms over the decades to reset the origin stories of Wanda Maximoff and even the second, the African-American Captain Marvel. The series is smart, it's funny, it's serious. The seriousness comes in nearly suffocating love that wanda has for her man vision visually we see vision as rob and wanda as laura petrie of the dick van dyke show vision is mike and wanda as carol brady of the brady bunch the problem is as marvelites we know vision die in Avengers: infinity war twice at least once vision was killed by wanda yet the couple lives on and reruns Spoiler alert. Well, not really spoiler alert. The secret of Wanda's power may be her sense of denial. The vision the vision that she once knew is gone for eternity. The secret is Wanda has to understand that letting go isn't forgetting. Letting go is accepting that you still have a purpose to fulfill. A reason to keep on living. Let it go is allowing yourself to carry precious memories into your future. That is the final stage of grief.
0: If you are finding yourself experiencing any stages of grief, know that you are not alone and you don't have to be alone. If you are extremely depressed and fear you might harm yourself, don't. Call 1-800-273-8255 or log on to the suicidepreventionlifeline.org. Despite what you might think, you are special and you are loved. To find a grief support group near you, go to thegriefrecoverymethod.com to help deal with the pain of emotional loss. This site is based on the book by James and Friedman mentioned earlier in the podcast. Next time on Interludes. I feel that musicians have a responsibility to bring forward, A, the message of
5: healing that needs to happen, but the music itself is just healing to the soul. And so our role is to, you know, bring that happiness. Because uh, as our great Frankie Beverly said, there's joy and there's pain happening. And so it's like sunshine and rain. And so we got to have both of them in balance.
0: Minneapolis songstress Miss niece. on the next Interludes. Interludes. Original concept by Valerie Johnson. Written by Michael Womble. Produced by Michael Womble and Valerie Johnson. Original intro and outro music produced by Kendall Nesbitt. Interludes, a pure lighthouse production. Brought to you by A1 Pestmasters. For all your exterminating and pest control needs, call A1 Pestmasters at area code 773-365-9962 or visit their website at a1pestmasters.com When you book your appointment with A1 Pest Masters tell them that you heard it first on the podcast called Interludes. To see the extended interview with the cast and crew of Grief, visit our Interludes YouTube channel.